0: Commission brings out, when we talk about it, should bring out a lot of things which are corporal but corporate but personal to us, the gospel. I don't know about you, but can you reflect and remember when you first heard the gospel and when you first received Jesus? I was at a conference the other day and I heard some songs and one of the songs that I heard was So glad he laid his hands on me. Once I was blind, but now I see Jesus laid his hands on me. Now, maybe the majority of you don't know that song. But I remember when I heard the gospel, I remember when I accepted Jesus. For the first four months or so, that was my theme song. So glad he laid his hands on me. Once I was blind, but now I see Jesus laid his hands on me. And I want to say to all of us that we are here because somebody spoke to us, somebody prayed for us, something happened in our life that triggered the need for God, the need for forgiveness, the need for repentance. The need for salvation for the soul. And I love it as I was listening last night and today and as I've been reflecting. First of all, I I feel like I'm on a mountain. And this place, you know, it is relatively flat. But actually we're on a spiritual mountain with God. And I want to say to you this, that when you're on a mountain with God, God always speaks. Whenever we come away, God speaks to us. And he always has something specific and poignant for us to get hold of. And if we could get hold of that, then our lives will get to the next level in terms of God's purpose and God's plan for us. One of the things that I was thinking about last night, which came home so evidently as we think about this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And it's interesting because one of the early themes and um, words that I heard when I became a Christian and I spent so long trying to get my head around, it was, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Interesting. Seek the will. Seek the power. Seek the authority of God first. And when we have that, all other things will be added unto us. And I want to remind us this, that when Jesus spoke those words to his disciples, he's saying, Listen, I have given you a mandate. If you live in it, if you walk in it, if you understand it, it will be well with you. That's why as the disciples went along the way, they recognized, number one, that God was with them. Come on. God's authority, God's Holy Spirit, God's presence, God's supernatural authority was with them. And when Jesus gave this commandment, he meant it for every disciples, the 12, the 120, the thousands. He meant it for them, for them there and for us now. I command you, it has not changed. we must still go and preach the gospel in the 21st century. And let me tell you this. I'm passionate about Jesus, number one. I love Jesus. I'm passionate about Jesus. I'm committed to Jesus for the reason that I've said, He's my Savior. I've been saved Through the cross, through the redemptive work of the cross. He's my healer. He's the one who has healed my broken, my messed up heart, my mind, my emotion, my history. He's the one who healed them. That's why the Bible is very clear. He whom the Son set free is free indeed. Okay? Okay? I'm passionate about Jesus because it's Jesus who have made me what I am. It is Jesus who has given me life, given me hope, given me peace, given me the ability to forgive and to love, given me the capacity that when everything around is sinking sand, it's okay because he's there. And we've got to understand that our call and our walk with Jesus is based on our commitment to love him. That's why the question's always be, what is the greatest commandment? That thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. We cannot be a dynamic, powerful, committed Christian without loving the Lord with all our heart. We cannot. The bottom line of our commitment and of our faith to, and our walk with Jesus is that we love him passionately. And it's interesting because, you see, the world that we're living in plays, pays a higher emphasis on the natural rather than the spiritual. Okay? Now let me tell you this. Because there is a notion and there is an important emphasis. If we cannot love the person we see, how can we love the person we can't see? And if we can't understand the capacity of God's love, how can we really demonstrate it to others around us? Come on. Listen, when we recognize how good God has been to us, it helps us to understand how much mercy and grace we need to show to others. Come on. Come on. None of us were squeaky clean, none of us was born in heaven. Okay? We all have our defaults. We all have our frailties. We all have messed up. However, it has been by the grace of God. I don't know about you, when I sing those songs, and I listen and I sing, I'm I'm thinking of the theology of the songs. I'm not just thinking rhythm. I'm thinking of, you know, this love and grace, mercy found me. Wow. Come on. Let's think about that. How Jesus found us messed up, and how he sought us out, gave us our right mind back, our peace. And I have to say to Christians this, is this. It's not that Jesus hasn't done anything in our lives. Is that at times it takes us a time to get to the place that Jesus will have us to be. That's why we believe in what we call progressive sanctification. Because you see, as we come to Jesus, we come with excess baggages. Okay? We come with excess baggages. And what Jesus does for some of us is instant supernatural miraculous setting free. There were some things that happened instantaneously for me and there's something that God had to do over a period of time in my lives. In my life. It was interesting. I used to smoke ganja morning, noon, and night. Even in my classroom in school. Okay? I was, it was a precious commodity for me. I would kill a man for it. But when I became a Christian that very night, I went into my wardrobe and I took it out on the newspaper and I threw it through the window. From that day onwards, I never smoke or desire to smoke a cigarette again or ganja. I was walking down Streatham High Road, Lara and I, and um, I smelled. Because anywhere goes anyone smoking ganja, I could smell it straight away. You know when you're used to something and you see it and you smell it? And I said, who's smoking ganja? She said, Dad, you have an, a withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> but there were some things in my life that was supernaturally, miraculously, boom. I had some emotional and historical issues. I, there were some things that I struggled with. Historically, emotionally. I struggled with the fact that My dad left us when I was seven. And Jesus had to help me to work on that. Because you remember, much of our struggles is in our mind and in our emotions. And so we have to get to a place where there is sanctification, a renewal of the mind and of the emotions so that we could get to the place where God could speak to us and minister to us and deal with us so that we could appreciate the newness that salvation brings to us. We have got to understand that. Paul went away for three years to Arabia. The first three years of my coming to faith because I needed God to deal with me. Deal with me. And... Many Christians have come in and they've just gone on and God hasn't dealt with them. They're still carrying excess baggages. I don't know if you listen to what Pastor Joe was saying last night. And sometimes we say things and it becomes, you know, something hilarious and we find it humorous. But there's a deep message. He said there were some things he had to deal with. Come on. And if we're going to allow God to use us, there are things in our lives, especially when we come to the mountaintop, that we've got to say, God, I will not let you go until you deliver me from these things. Come on. You've got to understand that. So for three years, by a few weekends, I didn't eat food. Over the weekend. Because you see I had habits. As a Rasta. I had spiritual things that I had to break from. As a former Rasta. I had to. So I had to go and pray and fast. And submit the flesh. The mind. The emotion. The historical baggages. So that God could take me up. And use me. May I just say this. That your life will always be an up and down like this. You know the hymn that we sing in church? Oh, the grand old Duke of York. He had 10,000 men. He marched them up to the top of the hill and marched them down again. And when they're up, they're up. And when they're down, they're down. And when they're halfway up the hill, they're neither up or down. There are many Christians like that. One minute, they're in the spirit. Hey, Next minute, they're gone. Can't get them, can't Instagram them, can't FaceTime them, can't WhatsApp them. They're gone. They disappear. You know, some Christians are like that. And they go on feeling. I'm not feeling it. Come on. It's about walking in the Spirit. Listen, you and I cannot fulfill the Great Commission until we understand who we are. We can't. We can't. When Jesus gives authority and gave it to his disciples, the biggest challenge that they had to overcome was the issue of who they were. Yes, Peter said, I'm going fishing. Because he still had hang-ups. I'm going fishing. Come on. Peter, do you love me? And I want to challenge us about our love for Jesus. Our commitment, our passion for Jesus. You know, let me tell you, as human beings, all of us are looking for two kind of loves. Christians are looking for spiritual love with God, but they see that in the distance. When I get to heaven, Jesus could love me as much as he want. But right now on earth, I want natural love. You know that? You know, you hear Pastor John talking. I thought it was a Beautiful illustration. Beautiful illustration. And he said some things that are important, very important. Listen, we will never, ever, ever, ever find what we are looking for that God has for us in the natural. We can only find what God has for us in the spiritual because God is a spirit. So God does things in the spirit and it manifests in the natural. If we cannot get the spiritual, it will not manifest in the natural. If we operate in the natural, we will never get into the spiritual. We've got to. We've got to understand that. Now, it's interesting because, you see, everybody wants to be loved. And that's natural. That's part of, you know, God's given us a DNA to be loved, to be valued, to be appreciated, you know, to really, you know, be affirmed. All of those things are important. You know, you know, you don't want nobody to tell you you're ugly. Come on. You want people to tell you're nice. You look good. You know? Hey, don't you look good? You're sweet. I appreciate you. We all want that. We crave for that. Let me tell you, even those who are married crave for that. So don't tell me just because you're single, you just, you don't understand me, pastor, man. I'm single. Come on. Give me a break. We're all human. Some of the most lonely people are married people. Come on. But let me tell you something. When we begin to understand God's purpose for our lives, when we begin to understand who we are in God, then it doesn't matter how we feel, what we have, what we don't have, where we are, what circumstances around us. When we know who we are, it's okay. It's okay. And so God's called us to preach. And it's interesting because one of the things that we all suffer from, we always see God call somebody else but not us. I'm always the insignificant one. God, you know, you know God, I'm not like Pastor John. God, I, I can't do this thing like Pastor Joe. God, you know me. I'm not like Pastor Isha or Marilyn. God, not me. Why not you? He takes the insignificant things to confound the wise He takes the weak things to confound the strong. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. If you and I allow God to use us, he will. Come on. He will. God is not looking for somebody else. He is looking for you (laughs) to empower you to give you that dunamas, that anointed power, that authority to do his will. Come on. And let me tell you this. What God has for you, no one else could do it. No one else. No one else could do what God has for you. Only you could do what God has for you. Because all of us are unique in terms of our calling to God. All of us. I have a joke with the guys and I often, you know, have a joke with them guys when we're in a serious meeting and, you know, and we're there, discussion and, you know, everything's gone well and fantastic. I say, guys, you know something, you know, you guys do all the work. You guys, some of you are more clever than I am and you do all the work, but I seem to get all the glory. And you know what? There are things that those guys do, I can't do. But we're all unique. We've all got unique talent, unique gift, unique ability. Come on. Peter doesn't know this, but I admire him. I like Peter. I know there are a lot of us do. But you know, when he stands up and leads prayer, I wish I could sing like him. He does it. He does, you know what I mean? He's got a unique gift. He's different from Mecca. And yet Mecca has his way. Mecca is different and unique again. But God doesn't want Mecca to be Peter or Peter to be Mecca. He wants them to be themselves. Because they both got their anointing. They both got their God-given characteristics. They both got all those things that God has uniquely given to them. Wow. And so God has called them. Just as God has called us. Now, it's interesting because God has given us a powerful gospel, the good news. Wow, God has given us a powerful gospel. Now, this morning when Pastor John mentioned certain program, I said to Sharon, what's that program? I, I didn't know it, man. And I'm, I was thinking, why, why don't I know that program? <laughs> you, know, I was, you know, I was asking myself, why don't I know that program? Because I'm not interested. Man, I just, you know, people have 17 channels or 70 or 100 channels. Listen, I could just deal with BBC One, ITV, BBC Four, and what else? BBC Two. Man, I have enough time dealing with those. (laughs) You know? And I'm saying, I've got so many books at home that I need to read. You know? I know that I need to spend more time praying. I'm thinking, gosh... Come on. I love God. And let me tell you, when you love God, that you and I love God, we want to spend time with him. But you see, if we're going to preach this wonderful gospel, and let me just say this. It's a challenge for us to preach the gospel in the 21st century. That's the biggest challenge for us as Christians. And there are four things that I want to emphasize in terms of this challenge. The challenge of communicating the gospel. The challenge of relevancy in terms of the gospel. The challenge of understanding biblical theology. What does the Bible teach us? And the fourth challenge, Christians who are passionate, passionate, excited, enthusiastic about Jesus. Come on, those are the challenges That we face today in the 21st century. It's interesting because this week, Facebook communicated in one day to over a billion people. Over a billion people one day this week was on Facebook. Wow. They are doing something that no other company in the history of mankind has ever done. I was thinking, you know, it took Billy Graham some years to to communicate to those billion people. But in one day, one day, Facebook communicated to a billion people. And I'm saying to myself, how am I going to communicate this gospel? How am I? You see, It's interesting because we have something that's precious, that's powerful, that's good, that brings hope. But the majority of us are absolutely useless in communicating it. I'm sorry. And we have allowed this sort of stereotype image you know, when you talk about a Christian, they always think about a weirdo. You know, when we talk about the gospel, the first thing that conjures up in your mind, oh, Lord, the church wants me to go out there and stand up with a billboard and tell everybody they're going to hell. Now, I don't know for you, but have you ever met someone on the tube preaching the gospel? No, they are. They're preaching, okay? Now, let's be honest with ourselves. Your natural first response is being what? Look away. Shame, vex, chur. Come on. You see, some people say, oh, Lord, help me. Come on. They're nutters. There have been some people I've seen on the street, I said, mate, you're a nutter. Do you know that? Because you see, you look at them, they're preaching the gospel, and they're looking at people like they've just come from care in the community. Now, listen, I'm not saying, listen, hear me right. Do you know I started like that? Do you know I started like that? I remember I was in Shepherd Bush one day, right next to the market. I said to the guys, hey, you guys stand beside me. And the reason why I said stand beside me, because I want people to know, you know, we're together. I'm not from, you know, from a sort of place, you know, where they stra- stray jacket you. Okay, I said that to them. There am I preaching. And all of a sudden I looked around, none of the guys are with me. And I thought, Led, you can't stop now. Keep going. (laughs) Okay, keep going. But it was interesting because I felt shame. I felt bad. I felt it wasn't good. And then the Monday morning, I met a guy who said to me, a friend of mine was on a bus going up the Oxbridge Road, and he saw you preaching. And he was really touched. Now, Now, it sounds a bit contradictory, but let me tell you this. In an age of Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, and all the others, presentation does matter. Creativity is important. Okay? It's important. But over the years, I've had to learn how to effectively communicate this gospel. Now, I'm not saying my brothers are nutters, because you see, in a sense, I really admire it used to be two guys in Brixton. And every time I went to Brixton, I used to heal them up. And I, I used to stop and talk to him. And the reason why I talked to one of the guys, because I wanted people to know that he's not insane. He's very sane, and he's very human, and he's very real. And I used to stop with my suit and my tie and my case and talk to the guy. Because I wanted people to see something different. He never knew this, but I did it because of that. But you know something? We've got to work on the fact that if we're going to communicate the gospel, the first thing we need is power, because it's not gimmick. Then we need understanding in terms of what is it we're communicating. And then we need to ask God to help us to be creative in that communication. I love the gospel. Just watch Jesus in the gospel how he communicates the gospel. Jesus always took something that was practical, that was relevant so that people could understand what he's saying. Come on. A farmer went to sow. Everybody knew about farming. He would have been speaking to farmers and he spoke the gospel with them. So he took something, an attention grabber that they could say lock into and then he tells a story. Interesting. Paul on Mars Hill. Do you remember Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17? He goes to Mars Hill and he sees a sign as he's getting there, and there's a sign to the unknown God. So Paul gets into the midst of these guys and he starts from right there. Come on. He could have preached the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. He could have preached forgiveness of sin. But Paul started where they were. They were at a place of philosophy. There was a place where they were saying, listen, we don't know which God is there, but let's have a discussion. Come on. And we're going to learn how to discuss with people when to preach and when to discuss. We've got to understand these things. I love that story with Paul on Mars Hill. And some followed him. And some said, I hear you another day. But many got saved. And then Jesus telling the story of the prodigal son. Wow. A man had two sons. Now he's preaching the gospel. That's the gospel message. So he's talking about the father. And one went off and... You know, sold, you know, did all his inheritance in. You know, cursed his father and mother. Lived a messed up life, a wasteful life. That's what the word prodigal means. But he came to his senses. That's Jesus. Jesus said, listen, you have messed up your life. You've been living your own life. You've been doing all the wasteful things. When will you come to your senses? And when you do, by the way, the father will always be waiting for you. Come on. That's the gospel. Jesus gave us some creative work. Listen, some of my best conversation with people hasn't been from the pulpit to the platform. It's been in a pub. I was in a pub one night and there's four guys there, four lorry drivers. And he said, Oh mate, what'd you do? I said, mate, I'm, I'm a Christian, mate. What? We were just talking on the walkie-talkie, driving up from the West Country about religion and about Jesus. And here we are in a pub, talking with you about Jesus. Come on. Incredible. We've got to understand that, you see, with this um, whole gospel, we've got to allow God to use us in the context in which we are. People said, I can't share the gospel at work. Now, let me tell you something. That's rubbish. Yes. I, you know, I know about the NHS and I know about um, education, the 1944 Education Act about proselytization. But let me tell you something. When God is with you and you're intentional about what the Spirit of God is doing, He creates space for you. Yes. He creates space for you. He does because let me tell you every man whether they're consultant or professor whether they're head teachers and principal whether they're chief of police whoever every man and woman has a deep inner need to be met which will not be met by their titles or their profession will not be met by their where they live or the money they have in their bank account it can only be met with the gospel. And here's the good news. God always takes the insignificant people to bring in his gospel to the place that he wants them to bring it to. Amen. It's interesting. and So I want us to understand something today. Communication is important. Incredible. Everybody sees this as number one issue. Number one priority to communicate. I was amazed. I was amazed that Jesus was able to communicate stories, whether it's the prodigal son, whether it was in the house of Zacchaeus. You remember what I told you? Here was Zacchaeus. Here was Jesus on his way to do ministry, on his way to Jerusalem. And there was Zacchaeus in a tree. Who was he? Wealthy prominent had authority and here was here was Zacchaeus at a point where Jesus could speak to him and at a point where he Jesus could say he too is a son of Abraham incredible up to 500 million people now use Facebook Half of them, 200 and odd million of these people log on to Facebook every day. Now, how do we use Facebook to communicate the gospel? I I meet some people say, I don't use Facebook. I don't do Facebook because I don't want people to know what's my private life. Well, how can someone know your private life if you don't put it there? If you're going to share what breakfast you had, what toothpaste you use, give me a break. Come on. Sent a message out one day in on Facebook and 21,000 people said, I like this. In one day. I communicated to 21,000 people in one day on Facebook. You see, it depends what story you have. It really does. It depends what story you have. And I tell you something, we need to take a cue You know, from people on Facebook. You see, Facebook is powerful. And I want to use it for good. We cannot allow these mediums just to be occupied by all kinds of people. Rihanna has 78.5 million people she communicates to. Wow. Wow. While you're talking about, I don't want to go on Facebook. You know, Rihanna, 78 million people she communicates to. Donald Trump says, I love Twitter because I could get back at my enemy. <laughs> now he's got a whole heap. <laughs> okay. Here the Bible says, let me just drop this in. It's a wise man that wins a soul. Now, I'm limited. If we're streaming, live streaming this, yes, I could probably you know, reach us some more thousands of people. It depends, okay? It depends on how we market this thing to reach everyone else beyond CLF. Okay? Live streaming. If you Facebook... If you tweet something or you, you, know, you send something today, yes, we could probably, probably get about 70,000 people or so. But let me tell you, if we're very intentional about using it to, as to promote the gospel and the well-being and the power of the gospel, we should be able to reach a billion people in a day. Come on. Man, I've seen all kinds of people put all kinds of things on Facebook. YouTube. Come on. All kind of, even the cats and dogs are on there. <laughs> now, I guarantee you that if Jesus was here in the flesh today and he was ministering, he'd be on Facebook. I'm telling you. You see, Jesus says, in greater works than these shall you do. He just communicated in the natural where he was. But listen, today he is giving us Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. I'm amazed. I said to Neela, I've watched Neela does a teaching on money. And Neela helps people to manage their money. And I watched her one evening doing a training, and I thought to myself, this woman has an anointing. This woman is sharp with what she's doing, and she's enriching people. And my prayer is I wish that Neela could really understand what she has, because you see, there are people out there searching for good things. Come on, they're searching. And Neela could talk about money and how. God has given her, and everything boils down to God. Because let me tell you, you know, we know how we we're irresponsible, and some of us are still dealing with the irresponsibility of dealing with money and all these kind of things, okay? But we know that, but for the grace of God, that our lives would be a mess. We need to get it out there, we need to share those stories. And so, the gospel is saying when it tells us to go and preach the gospel. We've got to understand that it's not just preach, but it's how we preach, how we communicate this message. Listen to this. A hundred, they talk about Facebook. A hundred and eleven million, two hundred and twelve thousand, four hundred and eighty people in the United States have got a Facebook account. People are just everybody cat, dog, human, several accounts. People have gone. 23 million people in the United Kingdom alone. 23 million people in the United Kingdom alone. 400 are on Facebook. Incredible. And so, how do we do this? How do we use these things? We cannot afford to be afraid to use this thing. I was saying to Wells, my son in law, listen, I need to make some. YouTube clips because YouTube have a billion users. Wow. How can I get the story of the gospel? Everyday people, hundreds of millions of people have hundreds of millions of hours generated browsing on YouTube. It's a tool. And we've got to be creative This tool. We've got to be creative in terms of what we do. 300 hours of video clips are uploaded on YouTube every minute. Come on. How do we do it? Come on. I could reach 75 different countries in 61 different languages. I could do that by using YouTube. Let me tell you this half of YouTube viewers they view their um, YouTube clip on their mobile phone. Come on, so listen, guys. I'm thinking, God, I want to communicate the gospel, and it's not just preaching from the platform, it's not just doing my TV program or my radio program or standing in Brixton Market. God, how do I use these other mediums? I was out the there a couple of months ago in Lambeth and I met a guy and um, he was a DJ, young DJ. And Carlos knew him. I said, Carlos, who's the guy? Man, he's DJ so-and-so. But, you know, Carlos knew the guy. And I said to the DJ, hey, you know, hey, I want you to, no, no, I can't leave this area. This is my patch because, you know, he's grounded. If he leaves Brixton, he's, you know, dry meat. <laughs> wow. But he says, I'm on there. The guy tells me he's on there and he's pumping out his message. And let me tell you something, young people are hearing him. Even our guys in church hear him and know him. Wow. So where are we? I want to remind us. You see, we know we have authority. We know we have the anointing. But I want to just draw attention for a few moments on our history, church history. Because this is about the gospel. Whenever in the history of the church God moves, there are certain characteristics There are certain things that were done. In Acts chapter 2, what was it in Acts chapter 2? In Acts chapter 2, they were in one accord in prayer. That's Acts chapter 2. They were in one accord in a prayer meeting. Okay? You could talk as much as we want about evangelism, about the Great Commission. But if we fail to be in one accord in that prayer room, it will be empty words. Okay. Because God does nothing but by prayers. Okay, and when our prayers mean something to us, it will mean something to God. Come on. You know one of the reason why we don't pray, we struggle to pray. Two reasons: one, we don't find time, and two, we just haven't got nothing to say to God. Come on. I'm telling you. But you just let the devil get behind us and you see how much we tell God. I can't understand people. I really don't. I just don't understand that we could come to church to pray and nobody opens their mouth. I can't understand. You know, when Peter says, hey, you, you, want to, you mean something. Let me tell you, when I go to prayer, I go to prayer. I go to prayer meeting to do what? To pray. And if I don't have nothing to say, I say, God, I'm dry. Some of us are dry like biscuit. We dry. That's the condition we're in. Some of us don't come to prayer because we have filled that space with all kinds of things. But let me tell you, if God is going to move, we've got to be intentional about prayer. The guys in Acts chapter one says, hey, we are going to prayer meeting. We're going to wait upon God. And they were in that prayer meeting and what happened? God's spirit came upon them. And it was after God's spirit comes upon them, then they went out and they preach with boldness, with clarity, with the power of God, and people are saved. Now, I'm always conscious. I could use YouTube. I need the anointing for YouTube. I could use Instagram. I need the anointing for the photographs I'm going to show. And the only place that I get this anointing is in the room people say, I can't sleep at night. Get up and pray. you find out how the devil makes make you sleep. The best antidote, if you can't sleep at night, start to pray. I woke up at 2.30 the other morning. I said, Les, I don't have a headache. The only reason I'm up, God wants me to pray. We've got up, Pastor John and I got up and we say, hey, 3 o'clock, let's get up and pray. Talk. And then we pray, we get on the phone and we pray. People say, you pray that time? You're crazy, three o'clock. Listen, if we want God to move, you can't just read ba 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 undone. You have to wrestle. You have to sacrifice. And listen, I still have to be at my desk at seven o'clock in the morning. Come on. We've got to pray. We've got to rediscover what it means to pray. We've got to get to place. of God, I cannot pray. I don't know how to pray. I'm dry. I'm, my mind is all over the place. But God, I come before you. And when we get in that place, then God's Spirit comes upon you. You begin to cry. You begin to agonize. You begin to travail. You hold your stomach. God begins to move. And his anointing will come upon you. Come on. Because you see, the fire of God has got to do something in this flesh. God has to do something. All the mess and the cobweb. God's got to bring us to the place where you don't care about your wig anymore. Where you don't care about how you look anymore. And I'm not saying go and look ugly. Particularly women. I'm not saying that. Okay? You get to the place that it's not about your husband or your wife. Although you love them and commit them. It's about you and God. You're desperate for God. Come on. It's about that. It's about that. You've got to get to the place. When we get to that place, then God says, okay, let me anoint you now. Let me give you the dunamas now. Let me release you now. I'm going to release your mind. I'm going to release opportunities for you. And you're going to go to places. And then you're going to speak. And I'm going to set people free. I'm going to give you boldness. I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you clarity. And you will set people free. We've got to pray. We've got to, we've got to, we got, got to pray. We've got to understand that. And In, it's interesting because the Salvation Army started out with a man and his wife. And let me tell you this. They saw something. I don't know about you, but I don't know if you're really touched and moved when you see people who are not saved. When I go on the planes at the airport, I sit there and I say, God, how many of these people are saved? Sometimes I pray, God, create a little turbulence now that people can cry out. <laughs> you know? Come on. You know, you know, you know I'm there. And I'm sitting, I'm sitting on a plane I'm saying, if this plane crash or a bomb goes off, I'm okay. You know what I mean? I'm okay. But God, are these people okay? You know, you've got to get to a place where you are saying, God, please use me. Amen. Create the opportunity, Lord. Come on. Unless we get to that place, you know, it never happened. William McAfee saw the poverty of young people. And you notice, let me just go back to Acts chapter 2. You notice after the spirit fall and the preach the gospel, you know that one of the first things they did was to set in all the deacons so they could look after the welfare of people. Do you notice that? And subsequent history has always been, many of us have been about men and women who have seen the poverty, abstract poverty, the suffering of men, and there's a desperation, and people feel overwhelmed, and they begin to pray. When you and I feel overwhelmed about the mess of society and begin to pray, God says, come on, you're understanding my great commission now. You're understanding the power. You're understanding what I want to do in you. I want you to stand. Tomorrow I'm going to continue this, but I want you to stand. But hear me, hear me. Hear me, folks. We've got to ask God to get rid of those excess baggages in our lives. Come on. Cast aside all those weight, those sins that so easily besets us. One of the things that I think about as I think about, as I think about the early church. There's nothing wrong in Christians getting rich and having aspiration and being top of their game. Okay, there's nothing wrong at all with that. There's nothing wrong. As long as it's not costing you your love and your passion for Jesus. You know that? There's absolutely nothing wrong to have aspiration to be the best, to have the biggest. Nothing wrong with that. But as long as God is with you in that, And I want to say this to us today. What God wants is our heart. That's a struggle. Because wherever our heart is, there's our treasure. You know that? There's our treasure. Wherever. Wherever our heart is. And don't get it mixed up with the natural and the spiritual. Louise has been away for a couple of days, and I, with her mum, and I've, I've missed her. And I, you know, I say, "Hey, darling, I miss you. I love you," and I just missed you. And I, it's natural, it's natural to miss someone you love. But Louise could never take the place of Jesus. Do you know that? And I want us, at this point, to just say, "God, my heart belongs to you." And I want you to take my heart again. And I want you to blow on it your spirit. That my heart will burn with fire for you, for your kingdom. My heart will burn with the passion for the gospel, your gospel, your message of hope for this broken world.